Hello and welcome to Zip Radio Podcasts powered by Accelerate. I'm your host Madhura Gaikwad and in today's episode we continue to discuss healthcare data challenges. The topic for today's discussion is healthcare data access and transmission. Pankaj Jain, Senior Vice President Healthcare at Accelerate, joins me today as my co-host to talk to our guests and healthcare experts Srinivasan Venkatraman and Arun Mirchandani. So welcome on board Srini, Arun and Pankaj. Thanks, Madhura, for the nice intro. As in earlier two podcasts, we talked about interoperability in healthcare and understanding different types of health data. Today, we'll be talking about access and transmission of that health data. Obviously, security is of utmost importance when dealing with the health data. The HIPAA security rule clearly states that covered entities must implement technical security measures to guard against unauthorized access to electronic protected health information transmitted over an electronic communication network. The 2009 High Tech Act extends this rule to business associates as well. Assuming HIPAA rules are followed strictly by covered entities and business associates, Arun, let me ask you from your perspective, what makes the health data so different from the other types of data? Over to you, Arun. Yeah, uh, Pankaj, first of all, uh, thank you for having this very important and uh, final in the series of podcasts. I think the whole conundrum around healthcare data is complicated by two unique factors. One of which is that unlike any other industry, maybe except financial, the reliance that health industry has on good data and good data analytics is unparalleled. And the reason is that, I mean, you have to go back to the macroeconomics of healthcare. At the end of the day, health systems are operating on very, very thin margins. And about 30 to 35% of revenues of any health system, on an average, come through Medicare reimbursements and CMS. And no other industry has such heavy regulatory requirements which almost force health systems to use data to improve their operational efficiencies and clinical outcomes. You know, that you've heard of triple aim. A lot of what triple aim is around improving patient outcomes, improving quality, and uh, reducing cost. And none of these are possible unless health systems spend a lot of effort in data analytics and understanding where the costs are, how to optimize cost, how to improve outcomes. So this is sort of unparalleled in any other industry. There is a lot of reliance in, like I said, in financial industry on data just because, you know, there is need for data to improve your competitiveness as a company. But in healthcare, it's more driven by the almost the diktat, I would say, of government regulations. It's very interesting that it's a nice perspective to put like oh, it is different. I learned some stuff. Uh, this triple M concept is new to me. So it's great. I wanted to follow up, Shrini. What do you think what Arun just said about the uniqueness of the health data? Uh, thanks, Pankesh. Thanks, Arun. See, I think why health data is important at the same time complex. Two aspects of it is capturing the data, one aspect of it. And how much of it is centralized? And uh, as we all know, there is a lot of guidelines, uh, security and compliance regulations around how the data should be captured by each entity. When I mean each entity, by a covered entity, a hospital, health center, different payers, pharmacies. So in all these layers, unless otherwise there is a seamless way of exchange, um, we call it as a file transfer challenges in healthcare systems. So it has to be 
the handshake should be seamless at the same time enough information should be shared between the parties for the end user obviously the patients to have a clear visibility of their data so some of the recent studies say all the data that is captured which is several data points and attributes only 20 to 25 percentage of clarity will be there after it gets cleansed so that level of challenge is there in health data for various reasons some could be because of lack of compliance and security infrastructure and increase in the volume of the confidential data attributes and files that is shared between all the parties and not only that when we have multiple sources disparate data sources with various complex scripts so each one has their own set of parameters to capture and finally all gets convoluted and it has to be separated in a neat cleansed form for visibility of end users and think about it such a huge quantity of data that is being exchanged it has to be effectively managed by through automation because there is no human who can kick off start stop it has to be an automated fashion the data should be exchanged and it has to be tracked and monitored pretty well so they clearly know okay at each stage where the data is and what form of data transfer is being done at every entity and there are some other infrastructure challenges to it and that makes it much more important for health data to be monitored managed pretty well to answer your point pankaj yeah that's a good point uh, shini i just wanted to thinking about it's not all doom and gloom in when it comes to i would say human and health sciences data i'm just broadening that from healthcare data because it occurred to me that you know for things like the human genome project it's been known that everything that's going on around the world uh, related to the human genome project is all open and shared uh, instantly on the web during covid times you've heard of open journals where scientists instantly publish their findings about uh, the epidemiology even before it's peer reviewed and it's open to all and then of course there is congressional mandate for all sorts of pharmaceutical clinical trials to also be open so my point was that it's not all that anything related to healthcare or human sciences is closed is just in this case we are dealing with hipaa and government regulations at least in the united states and mostly around the world where patient information is to be held private and secure so that's what makes it kind of unique let me switch to maybe another area that you know i'm just thinking of all the challenges that plague healthcare uh, when it comes to data you talked about when you talked about capturing this data from multiple siloed sources which is clearly a problem you talked about cleaning uh, all the dis- disparate formats i think there is a couple of other areas that uh, probably need some more conversation one is you know the storage the almost like an exponential increase in the amount of data that is being captured all the way from iot's to you know patient's health record in ehr and there are significant requirements for different types of data to be held by health systems one in particular being the 6 year requirement for patient access for health data and then there is all these other data forms that are you know constantly being generated so storage has become a significant problem with health systems it's, it's a pretty big headache because they have to decide how much of data to be stored for what reason you can't just store every data at all the time you have to understand right at the beginning how this data will be used over what time horizon can you talk a little bit about that from your you know practical experience 
Sure, Arun. Uh, yes. I think one leg of the journey is, okay, uh, the data is captured, cleansed. And to your point, the biggest challenge every parties uh, in the health systems face is how to store the data, how well it should be stored. Because nowadays, on-premises solution was a big challenge in good old days because of the infrastructure management and governance. Now, with cloud getting into the journey of various lives, it has reduced the pain of the infrastructure maintenance and the cost incurred on the systems as such, the servers. But the thing is, wherever or whichever form, whichever area that is stored, it has to highly follow the auditing standards, securities and underlying factor and compliance. So when it comes to storage, first coming to the trans transmission of data, which is our, the title of the podcast, it has to be highly secured. There are some in the hypertext transfer protocol in HTTP, you can add the secured socket layer, SSL. And on top of it, nowadays, there's a lot of sniffing. There are specific attacks called side channel attacks, which has to be taken very much into account of securing the data. And the sensitivity around data is high. Uh, and the governing uh, regulatory bodies from US, Europe, Australia, you name it, every continent, the ISO, uh, GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, and Australia Data Privacy Act, they ensure that you can store as much of data, but the thing is the transmission should not have a leakage and the storage should be encrypted at rest. So these two are factors which makes it much more complex for transmission and storage. So the encryption again goes at various stages. During the data transfer, it should be encrypted and at rest, there should be a column level encryption, file level encryption, archival level encryption. These are various encryption standards and it has to be managed with a constant password update because according to the law, it says, you know, you cannot maintain a password for a long time. It has to be managed. It has to be uh, updated frequently. So these are all the story challenges comes along with security to your point, the six years of data. So it's like, you know, you have to hold it tight, your heart, making sure that none of the data gets leaked. I mean, that makes it part of the ownership as well for the respective parties. So here the covered entities and the payer, they play a crucial role because it's all the starting point and ending point. And in between in the internet, it has to be secured with all the algorithms and techniques that are that are in the industry. Yeah, good segue into sort of the next area, which is sort of the main elephant in the room, which is around security. And I think of security as really six different subcategories. When we say securing health data, we are talking about making sure, first of all, that only the right persons are able to access data. So let's talk about you know authentication, as you, as you had hinted. The other parts of security includes access control. So making sure that not only the right person is accessing the data, but they're accessing only what they are allowed to see. Then there is obviously the audit control, which is if there was a need to ever go back and look at the history of who accessed and changed what data, there has to be that level of, you know, fine access uh, audit controls in this secure system. Uh, and then integrity is the key part. You know, we talked about cleanliness and all, but once the data is stored, you want to make sure that only the right people, authorized people are able to change it and, you know, it doesn't get corrupted and so forth. And then finally, we talked about uh, transmission. So it's really access, audit, 
integrity, authentication, transmission. To me, these together sort of come under the umbrella of security. Any any comments or thoughts on that classification? No, I think you narrated it well, Arun. I think especially there is a governing body called HARSA, Health Resources and Services Administration. And they put a lot of emphasis on audit. I mean, security, there is a lot of frameworks in place. But when it comes to audit, they are very particular, meaning whatever claims data, for example, in clinical world, are they being captured and right party is being charged and right amount is being charged. The audit ensures there is no money that goes unattended and also the members who are involved around the claim is being charged correctly. So that level of details, nitty-gritties uh, are involved when it comes to audit, to your point. That is from Health Resources and Service Administration. They do every yearly audit. And because of that volume of data, there is a quarterly audit that happens at every uh, covered entity and, and uh, third-party administrators. That is one aspect of it. Nowadays, the security has gone one above called SOC compliance. You all might have heard about SOC 2 Type 1 and SOC 2 Type 2. One is for the financial, the other one is for the administration and data. That ensures it is a, an umbrella, a layer on top of our International Organization for Standardization, ISO. SOC makes sure that there are several layers of security that should be in place. So one is HARSA ensures audit and ISO and SOC make sure the data is being secured. So these two are, you know, we call it as twin aspects of a security layer everyone looks for when they sign up with the covered entity or health partner or payer to make sure that every entity they're dealing with them has uh, their certification in place so rest assured they'll be uh, you know having their data secured that's the additional point to your so one question popped up and either one of you can answer so seems like the way Arun you are saying and Shini all this security and cost and storage it's pretty expensive thing to store and maintain and do all this thing regarding the health data so what motivates organization to do all this stuff in the first place is it well uh, it's actually uh, quite simple like I said at the beginning uh, the macroeconomics of Healthcare are such. You know, there are only two two types of health systems. One that operate in a highly competitive market where improving operational costs and improving population health are easily measured and compared against your competitor. And that determines not just the reimbursement, but sometimes you're penalized. You know, for example, we talked last time uh, for things like readmission rates and such. So all of these are sticks if you will, for Medicare and CMS and now even private payers to impose on health systems so that they shape up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other half of the health system or actually half it, you know, the other group of health systems that operate in what we call concentrated markets where they pretty much have monopoly or, you know, they have no incentives to increase their operational efficiencies or reduce costs because they just, what they can't, don't get from the CMS or the Medicare they just charge the private payers. So if you look at insurers, for example, or payers or health systems in the Midwest, in places like uh, Indiana and places, uh, their cost for treatment, for same treatment, is significantly higher. And it's very counterintuitive to places like Boston, where there is high level of competition. Because in one case, the 
checks and balances proposed by CMS in form of penalties and reimbursement rates are effective. In the other case, where there is only, you know, one health system to take care of a large part of Indiana, CMS can't really, you know, do anything about it. So there the costs spiral out. So now what's happening because of that, I just read a statistic that if you look at the hospital system's actual cost of delivery versus the reimbursements they get from private payers and from the Medicare, Medicare pays about 88 cents for every hundred cents or for every dollar of cost. Right. So they operate almost like 12% in in negative, whereas they compensate that from the private payers and they end up shouldering the cost of that deficit. So they end up paying $144 for every dollar of cost. And this Uh has to be, this cannot go on for the long term, right? So the macroeconomics really pay up, play out here. So what is now happening is that you must have heard, I think we talked in the last podcast of this move from fee for service based model, which is all these, you know, everything we talked about so far is based on fee-for-service service, where there is predetermined costs for, you know, a particular type of hospital visit to now what they call value-based pricing. So value-based pricing is sort of the, the mechanism now that's coming into play that's going to kind of equalize this playing field so the health systems won't be able to just, you know, shift their costs from uh, or their, their profits from Medicare over to, to private insurers. All payers will use the same mechanism to, you will only get this kind of stuff because we have data from these regions where, let's say, uh, orthopedic surgery costs this much. So you in Indiana can't suddenly charge us to twice as much, right? So they're going to equalize that. And that's going to be the final driver, I believe, in the absence of open markets or competitive markets where these costs will eventually be driven down. So long, long answer, but, you know, it's really being driven by macroeconomics. Micro, yeah, that's the key thing because I mean, it's like every, like any organization, it's like you're spending so much money, you gotta have a way of making something out of it, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it makes sense. So, Pangaj, and to Arun's yeah. point, um, so nowadays, the, every country, uh, they introduce a lot of federal program on uh, their discount card program. What they do is they're saying, the federal says, okay, you do this to benefit the members who cannot afford costly medicines, who cannot afford costly treatment and diagnosis. If you work with the government uh, as a true partner, uh, a covered entity or a hospital or a health partner, all the discounted money will be paid, the delta will be paid to them. Eventually, they can invest on latest programs like cancer, arthritis. There are a lot of uh, diseases that needs diabetics. This needs more attention. So they can invest that money in that program and eventually they that particular hospital will be staying ahead of the, in the market in the research and development or any findings they can bring in. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the ways to attract them to your point. What makes them stay in this market even though they are spending a lot of money? This is because they want to always be one step above other competitors. So this is mm-hmm. one way to attract them. Sounds good. I think there almost there is so much more to talk about, but unfortunately we are running out of time. So I just wanted to ask Arun, you and Srini, if you guys can any final thoughts on this topic, access and uh, transmission of the health data is sure. See, this is what the way we are heading to. So typically, uh, the Office of the National Coordinator of Health Information, the ONC, and U.S. Core Data for Interoperability. So where we are heading to, according to the press release, what they did in 2018 is 
there is a framework that is uh, in place and we are marching towards that the three main goals that covers the interoperability and also to avoid drowning in the data and effective ways of transmission and accessibility three pillars i would say is patient access patients the members must be able to access their health information electronically without any special effort that is one population level data exchange providers and payer organization accountable for managing benefits can receive population level health information allowing them to analyze their health trends outcomes and costs that is going to be the uh, one of the key aspects and the third one is open and accessible apis though we touched upon the fire uh, the health information technology community should have open and accessible application programming interface to effectively uses the data for the visibility of the data for their respective patients so this is the where we are marching towards and we are heading in the right direction that's about the wrap up thanks yeah Paj. that's a very positive note shini uh, i i would just like to add that if you look back at the last two decades the progress while has been slow has been steady and in the right direction for all of these improvements that we talked about in the last podcast in this one i just want to caution people that it's we're still dealing with healthcare we're dealing with human lives we're dealing with a lot of liability related challenges so just to temper the mood here that while the progress has been definite it, it's going to be slow and uh, but the world is a better place today than it was 20 years ago when it comes to healthcare there was so much more to discuss today unfortunately we ran out of time The key takeaway for me from today's discussion is the concept of triple aim. Regulations mandate that providers use data and analytics to gain actionable insights and apply them to improve clinical outcomes, improve quality of care and reduce operational costs. That's your triple aim. This is what makes the healthcare data unique in comparison with the other types of data. Thanks again Arun and Shrini for an open discussion and providing your insight. Thanks Madhura for organizing the event. Bye. Thanks Pankaj and thank you Arun and Shrini for taking the time to join us again. It was a pleasure hosting you for these three episodes to discuss healthcare data and your insights have surely added value to our listeners. We will look forward to hosting you again to discuss healthcare technology in the future. And thank you everyone for tuning into this episode. For more information on healthcare technology, digital transformation and product engineering, visit our website www.accelerate.com. Thank you.